So M or M or Emily? Uh, M, Emily, Nobed, whatever you want to call me. Don't mind. <laughs> 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 Up to you. Okay, fair enough. Are you okay with Amy and Ian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I demand to be called... Ezekiel! Giles. I shall be Ezekiel! <laughs> what if I go to with Giles there? That's really weird. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Unfinished Unpublished. My name's Emma Anderson, and each episode I talk to a guest about a creative project that never got finished, or that never made it out into the world. I am very excited today, as you might be able to gather from the amount of giggling that I do on this recording. And the reason I'm very excited is that I get to speak to Amy and Ian, who are the hosts of the excellent His Dark Materials podcast. Amy and Ian are part of the way through an epic chapter-by-chapter read-along of Philip Pullman's highly popular trilogy of books beginning with Northern Lights and going through to The Subtle Knife and The Amber Spyglass. The link to their website is darkmaterialpodcast.com and you can find it in the show notes. I would highly recommend tuning into their podcast whether or not you're a fan of the books. As we discuss in our interview, you can enjoy their extremely detailed research on Pullman's books, but they're also just a joy to listen to for their humour and their general loveliness. I've actually known Amy and Ian for a very long time, and I can confirm that they are fantabulous people, as well as fantabulous podcast hosts. And just to finish up before we hear from them, I want to let you know that if you have an unfinished or unpublished project that you'd like to talk about, you can email me, Anderson, on unfinished.unpublished at gmail.com. So first off, I'd like to ask if you can give a bit of an overview of what the podcast is and what the plan for it is. Oh, great question. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can, I can do that. So it's a mixture of kind of read along and book club and then super nerdy deep dive into his dark materials the sort of book trilogy by philip Pullman, where we basically go chapter by chapter and then try and i don't know talk about some of the key themes um weird little sidebars if, if anyone's not familiar with the uh, the series his dark materials it's fantasy children young adult book um fiction yeah. And yeah, it covers loads of stuff about religion and science and multi-world theories and mm-hmm. uh, adolescence growing up. And there are all these sort of, sorts of themes in the world that, world that Philip Pullman constructs. So yeah, we, we basically kind of go chapter by chapter and give our random musings <laughs> about what we think is, uh, is happening, what we've enjoyed. And yeah, reflections as well, reading it as an adult as opposed to as a kid when we both came across the books. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, I guess, where it's going the his dark materials trilogy is three books so we're almost finished with book two and we're definitely going to go through book three and there's also an accompanying tv series that we go through with as well other than that we don't really have any major plans we're still unsure about book of dust which is another trilogy that philip Pullman started in the same world that he's not quite finished yet yeah we're kind of leaving doors open there Those are long books. Those are long books. So far, <laughs> yeah. long and weird books. Um, <laughs> jury's out at the moment, but we'll, we'll definitely do um, the first set of books in the trilogy. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, it is a big task already, and the episodes that you do are at least an hour long, I think, most of them. So it's mm-hmm. enormous, and it's an enormous project. Why did you decide to take it on? <laughs> We've talked about this. <laughs> we talked about this in, in one, one or other of our episodes, and I think we still disagree. So well, we do disagree about <laughs> whose idea it was. Yeah, yeah. The you know the kind of wondrous creativity <laughs> genesis of this thing. Like obviously, someone has to own it. Uh, and so I we do. Both, we both think <laughs> we both think we started it anyway. But yeah, I think it was some. We listened to a load of podcasts, both of us, mm-hmm. and it was something that I was aware of and something that I thought sounded quite fun to do, and also potentially achievable to do which is very important yeah um yeah i think on the yeah. on the on the other podcasts bit we, we listened to a couple 
there's one that springs to mind about Lord of the Rings because we yes. re-listened, we're big fans of audiobooks, so we were both <laughs> listening through to Lord of the Rings, found this podcast yeah. which does what we're trying to do but in a level of detail that is frankly mind-boggling yeah. um, because Tolkien was so detailed in the world he created, this podcast that kind of accompanies you through the books just highlights all of that richness without you having to go away and basically get a PhD in Tolkien. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. So that was a bit of a inspiration for us doing the same for his Dark Materials. Yeah, and I think for me there are a few other similar kind of fun, slightly more informal or like less less intense mm. or definitely less informed versions of sort of fan read-alongs of books. Yeah, and his Dark Materials was kind of an obvious choice because I knew that it was something that both of us really enjoyed and we got a lot of different things out of the series in terms of different interpretations at different times finding different depths or different meanings or different perspectives on the books depending on when we're reading it at different times in our mm. lives so yeah it was just kind of a no-brainer really it's I think just it nice also felt a bit like the, the right time as well but yeah. like with, with I think when we started the, the HBO and BBC series had been announced okay so quite a few kind of fans of the books either diehard fans were very excited about it or people who had read them were looking forward to it just coming to life again it felt like that was a bit of a kick up the ass to actually do it because <laughs> yeah the series was coming with obviously a lot of marketing and mm -hmm. noise and stuff yeah and I feel like that kick up the ass bit uh I definitely ruminated on it for quite a long time about this concept and I think I do have a tendency to do that about things that I'm thinking about or things that I'm thinking about creating and irrespective of who came up with the idea I think I'm going to credit like majorly kick up the ass in terms of actually starting it and getting things moving was definitely Ian so I'm really happy about that <laughs> <laughs> it's very gleeful about that um I'm really happy about that aspect of it because I think otherwise I might have just pondered upon it and never really hmm. or taken longer to take that first step so that's an, a really interesting point that you've made there in relation to kind of the theme of starting projects finishing creative projects mm -hmm. whether or not you do them as part of a wider public interest thing yeah and you mentioned that the timing of the podcast was really good because there was a lot of public interest mm -hmm. about uh, his dark materials when you started it but one of the things that's come up a lot on this program on Un unfinished mm -hmm. is that sometimes there's value to be found in doing creative work in private like mm -hmm. for yourself mm -hmm. but i get the impression that the the public facing thing was a really important element for you when you were developing it yeah i mean i guess in the early stages it very much was uh in terms of the idea of well i guess there's going to be an audience for this yeah. and therefore we should probably think about who that audience is and yeah. what mm. we think they might want and try and anticipate that. And there the, the were kind of maybe what you might think of as nods to that or maybe concessions to that. So for instance, we decided to make our read through spoiler free, which is maybe not something mm. we would have done if we were just doing it for ourselves because yeah. mm -hmm. it might have been nicer to just be able to talk freely about things that happen and <laughs> yeah. have a oh different my perspective God. <laughs> i didn't realize this happened so early because yeah. in book three this thing happens what you exactly know, that, that kind so, of revelatory thing we can't really do yeah. exactly um but to be honest once we got started i do think that podcasting can feel like a very private experience yeah or oh, certainly has done for us and you know, certainly whenever listeners reach out to us and say, even if it's just a kind of thumbs up, it's good what you're doing. Hmm. That is actually really important because 99% of the time, otherwise it feels like it's just some people and a microphone and yeah. it's very difficult to widen that perspective. Yeah. What, what, How do you feel about that? Does it feel very private to you or do you feel like this now, right now that's happening is very public and people are really <laughs> listening? Now you do. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like a weird combination of the two, I think. So th with the private thing, I think what is really interesting is that several of the people that I've interviewed have said, oh, it feels like therapy. Mm -hmm. And I'm, that's not something I do deliberately. Um, <laughs> but also when they say that, I'm like, well, that means it's working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's kind of the value of the medium, I think, isn't it? Like a lot of people that make podcasts say this, which is that, you know, it feels there's more space that you can take the time that you need to take and you can get a little bit more personal but yeah then on the other hand there are moments when 
I'll phrase a question really badly and then go, oh dear, <laughs> I'm really glad it's not live because if people heard that, that would be really embarrassing. I think one, one of the one of the sort of, this is going to sound so pathetic, but one of the, the bits of it being public and having one eye on, well, the fact that it's public, that I find difficult versus just musing over these books and enjoying them privately is that I actually have to write stuff down. <laughs> and I know that, that sounds really stupid, but when, when reading through it again or listening through, having to take notes and having to take notes in a way that I can refer back to if we don't yeah. record an episode for another three weeks, it's actually quite onerous. And, and yeah. that's a concession to um, something that is public and needs to be intelligible to people who aren't in my head. Um, <laughs> that, that is, yeah, it makes it more difficult than if it was purely in private and, and a project for creative sake. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, you have to think more about the way you put things and whether it's clear and all the rest of it. Yeah. 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 Ultimately, though, it is nice to have the agency to be like, well, let's just make something that we enjoy doing and that we enjoy yeah. the output of. And hopefully that will have enough of an audience and not to worry too much beyond that. Mm-hmm. Well, it really does seem to have an audience, actually. It seems to be going really well. And you mentioned as well that you really liked it when you did hear from your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so how's it going? What, what kind of listeners are you getting? Who, who is your audience? I tend to not look at that. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I, I find I don't, it quite stressful. I actually, don't know, I actually don't know the numbers, but thousands per okay. week or month. So like it's, it, it, is, it is good. And we see spikes with the TV series. Yeah. Uh, we, certainly, we certainly seem to have got to a threshold where each week we get enough questions, comments, um, people reaching out to us that, that that's now become a almost feature of the podcast. We're responding yeah. to um, queries from the last episode or m- more <laughs> more frequently the what we got wrong section, um, <laughs> which, which is kind of, it's yeah. fun actually. Yeah, because there are things that I think between Amy and I, we have two different perspectives on life and the books. Yeah. But having a, having a third party in the room that just brings up completely left of field things that we wouldn't think of is it's really enriching what one of the one of the things that i think has struck us as well because it is just two of us in a room doing something that's digital and then basically gets thrown out into the ether with no no further thought kind of people have actually sent us voice recordings oh cool uh, you know as questions or comments and yeah. it's so good it's um I don't know. It feels very personable. It is very personable and personal yeah. for mm-hmm. to hear someone else's voice that you've never met um, engaging in a conversation. Basically, it's it's really quite powerful. A nice bit of the podcast. And Ian, you mentioned there that a lot of the time it is hard work, partly because you're thinking about your audience. And I know that you managed to carry on recording episodes, doing research while you were moving house, didn't have a toilet, among other things. <laughs> um, so. Does it ever get quite heavy going? And if so, how do you overcome that? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And I'll, maybe I'll give the negative side of this and then Amy um, <laughs> is the positive uh, and can give the positive. So, yeah, I, I, find, I, find it, I find it really challenging sometimes. I'm not a, despite my love of these books and books in general, I'm not a reader. I'm a audiobook listener. Yeah. So having to sit down and make meticulous notes, it, it, it sometimes is an uphill struggle, particularly because, you know, both Amy and I work full time. Um, so weekends are precious and we obviously have commitments like everyone else, sure. friends, family and just stuff we want to do in the world. So sometimes it's felt like more of a chore than a hobby. And that balance it is a constant struggle because as soon as a creative project like this, that it is optional, you know, we're not doing it to make money or to pay rent. As soon as it moves away from being fun and a hobby to a chore, for me, it loses its point. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been tricky, but I, I think we're quite lucky in that the, the version of creative project that we're doing is a partnership. It's two people. So whenever I'm feeling like that, it's very likely that Amy isn't and hopefully vice versa. Mm-hmm. And we can sort of yeah. rebound off each other. Yeah, definitely. I think it works. We work well as a, as a team and there's a kind of good balance there and I would say that mostly the bit that's that can feel like really hard work or really hard going is the stuff that uh is is about preparing for the podcast Mm. themselves Mm. when we're actually recording it's always fun yes and and that's always nice to see that even if one of us has been in quite a negative space had a busy week at work or whatever else is going on and then it's like oh no we're actually less in front of things than we should be we actually feel like we have to record something now but as soon as we start chatting 
Mm. It's then like, yeah. oh, this is the easy bit. This is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there are there are always light moments in every episode, irrespective of how stressed we are or how like under pressure we're feeling about it. Because right. ultimately, it's all an artificial pressure as well. I'm sure if people mm. there have there have been a few things that we've not done as per schedule before. And yeah. no one bats an eyelid. So a lot of yeah. it is kind of like yeah. self-imposed pressure. Yeah, so I can't imagine people would come at us with pitchforks if we're a week late. Um, no, I don't yeah. even mind. There, there is something in this that uh, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on, Emily, because of the relationships that you might have with some of your previous guests, so relationships mm. before doing the podcast, that in doing this with Amy, it's created a kind of, it is artificial, but a whole suite of topics to talk about and themes to discuss, reflections on life, you know, how we feel or what we think of determinism mm-hmm. that just wouldn't have come up in a natural conversation, even though we live together. And it's one of the parts of the podcast I've really enjoyed. Do, do you find the same thing with doing this? Um, yeah, in the sense, well, so most of the people I've interviewed have been randomers on Twitter who I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so like, I would not have been discussing anything with them. Yeah. But yeah, interesting stuff does come up. And I think what I've found, I'm sort of talking about the same thing, same themes every week. Mm. And people come up with similar ideas. These things keep returning again mm-hmm. and again. So actually just the things that you were, you and Amy were speaking about just then, about you doing the podcast as a hobby and it's meant to be fun, but then a lot of the time it isn't fun. Sometimes it's quite hard work mm-hmm. or a chore or a bit annoying. That comes up a lot, this idea that we say the word hobby but it doesn't necessarily translate into the word fun. Mm. It depends a little bit on the guest. It varies quite a lot. Yeah. So some people, it stays relatively lighthearted. Other people, it's quite serious. So I had one guest on who had written, started writing a blog describing her experience of having cancer, which is obviously quite a serious conversation. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, no, it varies massively because they've all got completely different projects. <laughs> It's really interesting, by the way, that that, that episode I, li- I listened to in uh, in the last couple of days. And I, I don't know if it's just because of the rapport or maybe maybe um, she, she was obviously very open and, and engaging as, as a person. Yeah. But I totally assumed you knew each other. <laughs> so it's good. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, some, like there's some positive feedback on, on the podcast. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that's, that's one of a, a few episodes I've listened to recently. And I, I just assumed you knew these people. <laughs> no so so um Rachel that that writer she's my she's a colleague of my auntie's but I'd not met her oh, right. <laughs> um yeah she was volunteered by my auntie to cool <laughs> mm. I also had a follow-up question about when you get together and you do the recording and it is fun mm-hmm. because one of the things that I really like about your podcast <laughs> is that you've got what I'm going to describe as a witty repartee <laughs> <laughs> And I get the impression that isn't something that you cultivate, but is that something that you're aware of needing to do? It's all artificial. It's all online. <laughs> we hate each other. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. I, mean, I think we're generally just like that, to be fair. Yeah. But I think there is something quite special that comes out when we're both talking about something that we've thought about, that we like, that we enjoy, that we find like, challenging to think about we find entertaining so then you're already in that you're already in that kind of state of mind of I'm having a good time so of course you're going to be slightly more on form than you might be if you're just having a chat about your favorite type of biscuit over a cup of tea or something you know (laughs) in the morning so yeah it's definitely not like that all the time because (laughs) we are humans and we do have silent moments or whatever where we're not chatting quite so much but I would say it generally feels quite natural or as natural as it can be when you know you're being recorded I guess that's the thing it's funny because yeah I don't think I'm conscious of the fact that there are listeners like we said at the beginning it's not like Mm. I'm constantly sat here with the audience in mind Mm. but there is maybe something similar to when you are well back in the days where we could uh, actually leave the house um (laughs) you know in in a group of people hanging out at a friend's house and you're not necessarily putting on a front. I, I don't want it to sound like I'm just being fake with everyone whenever I hang out with people. But like you, you do you do bring a bit more energy than if you were just yeah. sat down eating dinner. Do yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. and I think I think doing a podcast that you know is public maybe has that flavour to it. That yeah, you, yeah. You, you're you kind bring, of in like entertainment mode. Yeah, you yeah. bring the happy, upbeat 
energetic part of your personality as much as you can sort of be bothered to. Yeah, um, sure. Because, you know, there's other people that are engaging in it. And just because Amy mentioned it, what are your favourite biscuits? <laughs> oh. oh, we disagree about this. <laughs> Mine is rich tea and Ian's going to like cast dirty looks at me for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I recently I just... discovered, whilst Ian's thinking about that, the only improvement that could be made on the rich tea was that they actually sell chocolate-coated rich teas, oh, which to cool. me is the height of biscuit perfection. I think, I think it's chocolate-coated shortbread. Oh, I, I really like, like shortbread. shortbread so much. Ah, oh, because it's got so much butter in it. It's just, can you pack more calories into <laughs> space, please? So yeah, coating coating shortbread in chocolate is a win. I feel, I feel like, I feel like you're a you're a hobnob, Emily. Me, um, I do enjoy a hobnob, but I think. I think I'd have to go with the, the classic digestive, which everyone always hates as an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to dislike it, but I've, uh, I've matured into a digestive. Yeah, no, no, I could go for a digestive. <laughs> I like the salty vibe. <laughs> digestive with a little bit of butter on top. What? <gasps> yeah. What? This is a revelation. Really okay, I'm, I'm leaving right now. <laughs> That's mad, Emily. That's interesting. But it's, it's biscuits you do and butters, Ian, which, you know, you like buttery biscuits oh, but i'm a tea dipper with my digestives and you mm. can't dip oh that's true you couldn't do tea. both that's that's really wrong. Tea. no although <laughs> slight confession one of my if i'm feeling either low or ill this is an off off topic for the podcast <laughs> right here, um making soup from a single chicken stock cube and then getting tuck biscuits with a bit of butter on top and then you dip the tusk tuck biscuit into the chicken yeah. ah, so good just like salty flavor in your face <laughs> Ian is a man of refined taste. I really want some now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a link there. I'm just going to edit this out. That's all right. <laughs> so I'm going to move on now to talking about Pullman's books more specifically. Mm. And we can talk about the recent BBC HBO adaptation as well. But to start off with the books themselves, um, I wanted to cover the basics and ask what it is that you like about them so much. Mm. Ooh. How much time have you got? Mm. We've already said that our normal podcasts are about an hour long. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I I like fantasy fiction in general. Uh, so you know, worlds that are different to ours, kind of interesting. Yeah. And Pullman does a really interesting job of weaving in kind of science or pseudoscience that you could believe would be true, and and some of which is grounded in the real science of of our world of this universe. So things like multi-worlds or bits of particle physics and evolutionary biology, they're kind of woven into the books, not just in a kind of derpy, derpy, derp, here's some bit of the fantasy lore that doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it's like integral to the plot and it, yeah. it, it kind of matters whether or not these things are correct and it's an important explanation for how things unfold. So as a major nerd, I quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I find this really hard to articulate, I guess, but... I'm going to give it a shot. So I think I really admire or enjoy the most the storytelling abilities of Philip Pullman. Okay. I, I think it is maybe, it feels like a fantasy book and I do read a fair bit of fantasy, not a huge amount, as well as lots of other genres, but it doesn't feel to me like a fantasy book. And that's one of the reasons why I actually prefer it to other fantasy books. Okay. And I don't, I realised after a while, uh, when I returned to the books, I think in my late teens, I realised that I'd sort of been chasing a book with a similar feel or a similar genreless vibe to His Dark Materials for a while, because I really like that it's kind of a blend of lots of different things. Um, it definitely doesn't patronise the reader, and you can enjoy it as just a surface level very entertaining, very gripping story. Yeah. Or you can, as we do on a bi-weekly basis, <laughs> uh, deep dive into loads of random stuff that like, there's sort of like tips of the iceberg everywhere that you can choose to try mm. and go down and you can choose to try and speculate about. Or you can just kind of tiptoe over them and keep going along with the story. So I like that it has that balance there and you can get out of it as much as you want to. Mm -hmm. I really like that you've brought up doing the deep dive because one of the things that I really like about the podcast is I feel as though maybe particular particularly in the early episodes you'll find like some tiny tiny detail mm. about whatever like a place name or something and then it'll be 20 minutes of <laughs> like explaining the significance of that I wonder if you know or you have a sense of 
some of the most surprising things that you've learned about the books over the course of doing that kind of research? Yeah, it's been a really interesting learning experience for me. I am a big geek, but I'm especially a learning geek. I just love learning things about new things. I love speaking to people who are experts or who are passionate about particular things. So I've really enjoyed that part of the podcast. In fact, I kind of miss it a little bit in the sections of the book that we're in now, where it's much more kind of like, here is a plot that's not really anything that I'm slipping Mm. in here. I think some of the surprising things, maybe, there's definitely been a lot of interesting people that we've learned about that I hadn't heard about before at all and have since gone on my own little separate to the podcast my own little meandering so Dr John Dee who was an alchemist a philosopher Mm. a general jack of all trades in that weird weird time um then got me into kind of the history of alchemy and I've since been kind of dabbling in reading more about that and about how it's tied into the history of Prague and how there was that specific little bubble of culture that allowed it to foster development and thought and all of these really interesting things before mm. pre-Newton basically I'm trying to think of other ones now what, I'd, what stood out to you I'd, I'd, I'd say I'd say the same so so like surprise about the book is just how rich it is I think reading it yeah. as a teenager you just kind of gloss over these details where you know Philip Pullman he's clearly a very learned and worldly person he's imbued the books with so much uh like you said about tips of the iceberg or little breadcrumbs of here's a bit of history that's kind of interesting Uh, (laughs) and it's only alluded to in a name so one of my one of my favorite things from the sideways reading or research that we ended up doing was on this guy called Fultz de Brute oh he was great I loved that what what a legend (laughs) um and I just uh, for for uh, yeah for anyone who's listening and hasn't heard of them it's the guy who ultimately is given his name to Vauxhall in London and through a bunch of etymology you original name was Fox de Brute and that eventually translated through to Vauxhall and he had a house in Vauxhall in London and, and that was kind of it in in the in the first pass of my research until I went through his Wikipedia page and then a few articles about him and he just is is Bron of the Blackwater he had this crazy life of piracy and being a mercenary (laughs) fighter for both the king and then someone who I think was rebelling against the king fleeing to Paris and then Italy and then he ultimately died by eating some either poisoned or just moldy fish (laughs) and it's just I couldn't stop reading about him I found it like I almost wanted to just do a podcast on him Um, I mean you could easily yeah yeah yeah, so that kind of thing is really really fun and unexpected Mm, um, because we keep finding little nuggets like that that are nothing to do with his dark materials but just interesting things in the world so there is as we've been saying loads and loads of detail that Pullman puts in the books like loads of historical references geographical references but I have noticed sometimes (laughs) (laughs) that sometimes you seem to do quite a lot of work on behalf of Pullman so and I, what I mean by that is that something like slightly odd will happen with the plot or a character or there's sometimes like, you know, some fraying along the edges of the story. <laughs> and at those points, instead, instead of kind of saying, oh, well, he's just fucked it up, you kind of come up with like ingenious explanations for how it makes sense. Mm. And that's really entertaining to listen to. <laughs> but I do wonder, like, are there any moments when you just go, yeah, he's just made a hole in the story? Mm. Yeah. Good question. Uh, <laughs> mm. So now, now I've now I've definitely got like my own version of Stockholm syndrome with the books, and now I can't see the flaws. But I'll, I'll let Amy point out some of the flaws that we maybe should be more critical of. But I found it interesting because my my dad said exactly the same thing. You know, when he when yeah. he started listening along when we first um, first started the podcast, he's like, "You're not exactly critical of Pullman. He's not he's not perfect." Uh, and I think that's one area where maybe it being public and being aware that we have yeah. fans who are you know, at least a lot of the listeners are really like diehard fans of the books. These books mean a lot to them and they, they follow yeah. Pullman a lot. I sort of shy away from wanting to criticise in case that offends. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because now that we've done so much of it, uh, it doesn't sound arrogant, but we, we've probably built ourselves into mm. not authorities on the books, but we, we kind of are me- mega fans I think go with authority. I think you are an authority. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The authority, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, like like anyone who's doing a podcast on something, presumably is a big fan of it, and that almost precludes us from being critics. There's something a bit uncomfortable Mm. in pointing out flaws that uh, that I found. 
I'm not sure I totally agree. At least I, I, de- I, definitely, I definitely think that we are not critical of Pullman. But I think for me, it's maybe for a different reason. I think if I did notice something that I thought was a bit crap, I would mm. be fine with pointing it out and just saying that's a bit of crap writing. Mm. But generally, A, I'm probably just like a little mm. bit lenient there. I tend to give the benefit of the doubt in terms of probably <laughs> I'm going to assume that was deliberate, not just a fuck up. <laughs> and uh, But then also I think sometimes I'm kind of almost too close to the book that I, I sort of kind of forget about Philip Pullman in my mind. And I'm just kind yeah. of like, well, how does this story work? Yeah. Okay, well, this story would work if X, Y, and Z were true. Okay, well, let's say that that's true then. Mm. Rather than necessarily, I wonder what Pullman was thinking. I prefer to kind of reinterpret some things and make sense, Mm. which I know might seem like a really weird answer. No, I think it's it's really interesting to see you doing that because it does make it, your work is then part of a creative endeavour. Like, oh, well, maybe that character has this motivation or is thinking this. And that's nowhere in the book but it's a totally valid interpretation that makes it interesting, right? So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think Philip Pullman as well has talked about the process of being an author and about a work then being consumed by readers, and I'm going to misquote him terribly, but basically said, when when you're an author and you're actually writing the book, you're essentially an autocrat and, and, and you can do whatever you want, but as soon as that book is published and it's out in the world and it's being read by people, mm. then it's a democratic process. And you no longer have any authority about what is and what should be. And having people choose to interpret that is then fine. And there can be multiple different interpretations. I don't know as well if that might have influenced me a little bit in terms of like, screw you, Pullman, I don't care what you actually intended. Here's how it should work. And here's how I'm going to choose to make it work. Yeah, (laughs) The only only thing that's coming to mind, I was trying to rack my brains for when, when have we been critical? And I I almost feel guilty for this one because... (laughs) One of the main, well, one of the two main characters, a character called Will, is is a effectively a child carer for his yeah. mum at the very start of the second book. And because my my mum has yeah. been in poor health since I was a teenager, I've always seen Will as a little bit like me, or certainly felt a sense of empathy reading the books. But I kind of, I think when we first got into The Subtle Knife, the second book, I kind mm-hmm. of criticised Pullman because... Well, it's a good thing for him to have brought more attention to things like child carers, um, applauding people who do good things yeah. and aren't, aren't frequently recognised it, re- recognised for it. But I, reading it through as an adult, it really dawned on me how he put this character on such a pedestal. Mm. You know, Will is almost flawless in yeah. his role as a son and a caring teenage boy for his mum, and. It just it just took me aback, and I, I kind of remember reading it as as a teenager, as a, as a child, yeah. and feeling inadequate because you know I wasn't I wasn't a will. I couldn't live up to being a will. I mm-hmm. I, I had resentment for for my mum and what her illness was doing to our family, and even though that's unfair, it was kind of unavoidable to feel that way. Mm. So the the only criticism that I think we've made of Pullman is that he included a child carer and didn't do it perfectly which feels <laughs> yeah, yeah. really kind of harsh but yeah. that that is a criticism that you know when, when people I think try to try to do that and maybe I don't know don't have personal experience with it maybe or, or um, try and tackle something that's difficult like that there are they can be unintended consequences and mm-hmm. uh, I think we were a bit critical of that there's definitely other bits that like I'm critical of but maybe don't articulate very well but there's like lo- lots of small things sure. rather than big gaping holes but yes, I'm, I'm yes. intrigued I'm intrigued to, to hear what might have been yeah the hilarious kind of when we're working very hard to work around something well, what massive what massive floor are we missing <laughs> yeah, Emily what jumped out to me. it tends to be like really small things so like oh, I'm trying to think what I was thinking of that mm-hmm. wasn't there something about a witch randomly turning up at the end of northern lights with no explanation or something there's things like that and you worked quite hard to be like oh yeah why is she there where where could she have come from and I think it was just, a, I think he just messed it up. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, yes that's true. That's just true. a random witch. Yeah. You're also doing a kind of watch along series with the recent BBC adaptation. And similarly to what you do with the books, you're very non-critical of that. You're really positive about it. And I really like that because I think there would have been nothing more boring than listening to a review programme of the series that was just 
critical of the ways in which it diverged from the books, for example, which can be really easy to slip into. Mm-hmm. And I know that there were a few moments from the TV series where you thought that it actually added to the books. Yeah. Could you say a bit more about those parts of the series and what you think that it did add? First of all, I was terrified it was going to be bad and we would not like it or not agree with the direction that they'd taken. And yeah, as you say, it would be very easy to slip into that like generally yeah. not enjoyable for anyone podcast of errors, <laughs> big long rest of all the things we don't like and we're being very grumpy about it. <laughs> um, but A, they were quite faithful to the books in- enough to kind of like clearly be showing respect to like the big fans that Pullman has for his work. Not that I think that's always necessary, yeah. but I think it's certainly important. For me, they've not kind of torn the heart out of it or anything. One of the really nice things that I think they've added is generally they've modernised it in quite a fresh way. For instance, some of the things that I think I'm a little bit critical of in the actual books is some of the characterizations of certain characters. Although they're complicated and although you don't know their true motivations, sometimes they can either be a little bit Victorian um certainly a lot of the like respectable and great Mm. and powerful male figures of course I could never possibly (laughs) discuss my emotions with anyone Mm. uh they're very that and they're they have a lot of redeemable qualities but that's not a very um appealing character to have like some of your Mm. some of your main people as for an adaptation these days I mean obviously you have to have a bit of that and you know you can have very successful successful characters portrayed like that but I think it's nice to see them Mm. yeah I guess modernizing some people so for instance one of the main characters is a guy called Lord Asriel who in the books is very much that distant distant English father basically Mm. uh sent his kid off to more or less boarding school gets a photograph of her once a year and visits once a year and that's about it not really involved with your <laughs> life thank you very much you're far too messy and bratty for me just now but actually the way that he's portrayed in the series is much more emotional much less kind of repressing things mm. you can see a lot more of his inner life on his face which is obviously important in a visual medium as well but I think there's just good writing to show that actually he is mm. affectionate and caring and um, yeah. that's important for a character that in theory some people might want to like <laughs> or want yeah. to respect and yeah. he, even even as a kind of maybe in a stereotypical way the great man syndrome he's still taken away from maybe his duties as a as a father or as a member of this college that that he uh, leaves Lyra in you know, he still goes away to do these great things in the world for the benefit of mankind, which is admirable. And, you know, thank goodness for some yeah. of the greatest people in, in history. But in the TV series, they imbue him with some emotion and regret. And you get that he does feel the sense of sacrifice in the pursuing these very important things for everyone. Mm-hmm. He is actually losing something and regrets it. Whereas in the books, it's just a bit like, eh, <laughs> I got shit to do. <laughs> you know? Um I think the other thing is with, with uh, the other main character, his, his kind of counterpart, mm. Mrs. Coulter, the TV series gives a lot of time and focus to what motivates her as if effectively a kind of mm. evil-ish character through the majority of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, she's certainly on, on the side yeah. of, on the wrong side uh, for the vast majority of the, of the trilogy without much explanation as to why what's led her to the position where she's doing such evil and wicked things and you know effectively abusing and rendering children uh, as soulless uh, husks for the rest <laughs> of their lives in uh, in book 1 and you don't ever really get an explanation as to why mm-hmm. what went wrong in her life is, is she just inherently evil or actually are there causes that have taken us to this point and the tv show adds a lot of um, very credible empathetic sort of reasons for that as, as well as just getting to see that she's conflicted and emotionally unstable and clearly has mental health issues, personal issues with herself um, that she's not really reconciled mm-hmm. and struggles with. So adding that richness to the characters is definitely something the TV series does very, very well. Were we supposed to be saying things that we didn't like? Because I feel like we failed on that miserably. <laughs> no, no, the question was, what did it add? So oh, that okay, was good, good, so, good. Yeah. But my, one of my other questions was, what does it get anything wrong? Well, on on that note, well, on. on that note, 
Uh, obviously, there are minor geeky things that we're just kind of like, as big fans of the book, we're like, <laughs> that tiny detail is inconsistent, actually. But with Mrs. Coulter, that main character, Ian was just talking about one of the things that I personally think that they maybe shy away from is, yes, they make her very sympathetic and they make you feel quite deeply for her and mm. how she survives in this world. But I also don't think they went far enough with making her, not that there are, like, I don't really believe in heroes and villains. They should have made her more evil or more mm. more aspects of villainy in mm. her character. Because at the moment, I'm just like, yeah, okay, I can yeah. understand why you're doing what you're doing. And you're still doing bad things, but I feel like I'm already at the point where I'm apologising for you doing that rather than sort of abhorring the fact that you're, that you're doing that. And I feel like I would like to see more of that, I don't know, that evil coming through. Because I feel mm. like more or less from the second episode, it was like, oh, she's complicated. Okay, well, I guess I'll just feel sorry for yeah. her. And yes. whatever she does now, I can empathise with why she's doing it. Yeah, Which is amazing, but I would also like to dislike her. <laughs> Sometimes it's fine to just have a villain. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the the more important error or or, or thing that we just think, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> is that the witches in the books are basically uh, long-lived flying people okay. <laughs> that shoot, shoot stuff with bows and arrows if they have to go to war. In the TV program, they've made them into like superhuman okay. um, soldiers <laughs> that can teleport around. And I fucking can't get over that because it's just, they're so powerful. I just keep watching it going, let them do everything. Everyone else just go home. Yeah. Don't worry about this battle with God and the war between, you know, experience, innocence, and oppression of thought versus threefold. Just, just let the witches sort it out. They'll, yeah. they'll destroy everyone. That was a major mistake. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you've been able to interview some really great guests, actually, who were part of the TV series. And I'm not going to ask you who you who you liked the most or which interview you enjoyed the most. But what were <laughs> some of the most interesting things that came out with the interviews? Interesting has been just like learning more about how TV shows are made because I don't know anything about that. But also just understanding the craft and the artistry and the creativity that goes into everything that they're doing and tiny details that we wouldn't even notice. The fact that a light switch is designed and made specifically for a set that you know 99% of viewers yeah. would never even blink an eye at but it's there <laughs> because someone made it and someone designed what it would look like we've interviewed some yeah really amazing people in terms of a props concept artist uh who makes a lot of the props for the show that was really fascinating in terms of understanding his approach and the way that he works but then also just yeah, I guess the sheer the sheer level of detail and attention and effort that they put into every single mm. microcosm that you see on screen is just amazing. And the same goes for the couple of performers that we've interviewed as well. So one person who voices the armored polar bear in the first series. Just thinking, anyone who's not watched or read watched or read the books is thinking, what? What is this crazy world? Just thinking about how much goes behind that characterization and how to develop that sound and yeah. hearing him create mm. that without any post-production was just astounding and then also we interviewed one of one of the puppeteers who create um what's called demons which are animals who kind of personify characters souls on the show this guy effectively does the puppetry for what is later converted into a visual effects of basically a, a cgi animal on screen and they used puppets so that the actors have something to reflect off of and so that they can ensure the animal's in the right place and get some of the movement correct. But in the way he described it, they, you know, he, he's, he's an actor in the scene because with the other actors that are either uh, this demon's yeah. owner, this demon's human, mm -hmm. their partner and soul companion, you sort of build a rapport as a character, yeah. even though it's almost a prop. You were talking there about Brian Fisher, who's the puppeteer for the Golden Monkey. Yeah. And I really liked listening to that interview, partly because, so as you said, there's a, a lot of work that goes into um, not only kind of the physicality of the monkey, but the relationship with Mrs. Coulter's character, played by Ruth Wilson. So mm -hmm. in a way that's actually meaningful for the interpretation of the book. And because we've mentioned demons, I was 
thinking about doing the thing where you ask what would be your demon <laughs> we can do we can do that if you like but i also was interested in why people like doing that so much people find it such an interesting fun exercise yeah. what's that about yes i don't know people like animals don't they and i think people <laughs> Brilliant. like People like, um, people especially like anthropomorphizing animals. Yeah. And so it's rare that you ask someone, what do you think a demon would be? And they say, oh, I really think it would be a little beetle or something. It's always something fluffy or (laughs) something playful or something with an interesting or human-like characteristic. Yeah, I think the exploration of that is kind of addictive in a way. I think think there's a strange aspect to it as well. It's it's, it's not just what's your favorite animal or even what are your top three personality traits you have to try and hybridize those two things mm-hmm. and um, still be humble and not be like well mine is definitely a tiger yes <laughs> yeah so i think people uh, or i certainly have enjoyed trying to do that double take of well i think i'm like x yeah. but actually that doesn't really incorporate the negatives of who i am mm-hmm. and also now that I've thought about it, no, I don't like that animal, so it can't be that one. Yeah. You know, like, if you didn't get through and you end up with sloth, you're going to go, no, screw that. <laughs> I'll go back to monkey, thank you very much. <laughs> but also, like, to go back to that concept of criticising Pullman, I really like it as a concept. Yes. But I don't think it holds up under scrutiny, <laughs> really, because I don't think it's really accurate to say that yeah. anyone's fundamental being of who they are could be summed up by a an animal but also that that animal would stay the same yeah. for all of your life yes. people go through very different phases and um, that being said what did you come up with for the two of you <laughs> uh oh so mine i think we landed on a dog of a medium to small size <laughs> not a shit yappy type one i i uh make pains to, yeah. to say but yeah maybe kind something like a terrier thing. <laughs> scrappy mongrel can get a bit pissed off playful definitely very like gets obsessed with certain things yeah and mine is a eurasian otter not a sea otter not mm-hmm. the little cute mm-hmm. little fluffy hand-holding <laughs> clam smashing sea otter i like the specificity uh yeah i don't know i i think it's more like habitat specificity because i was like i think i would hang about in woods mm-hmm. I, d- I don't think i'm an open sea kind of person but I might be a woods kind of person. Like yeah. being in woods generally makes me happy. You're talking about within the otter variety. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, 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 yeah. if it's just woods, Amy, then you know, be a beetle in a tree. <laughs> yeah. I'm obviously now trying to pin your demon down, Emily. I don't have an answer, actually. I should have definitely thought of that before I talked to you today. I mean, I feel like the obvious answer is an owl because it's an animal that is deeply associated with you within our um, sort of friendship group. But I mean, I don't mind owl. It could be a lot worse. That's a bit of an odd one because that was started off by an ex-boyfriend and it's never gone away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's good though. I'm trying to think of an animal that thinks a bit laterally. <laughs> I, I don't know if I don't know if I'd describe that as your key character trait, Emily, but it's it's in there. An animal that thinks a bit laterally. Maybe this a lemur. This is why it's good pub chat. Yeah, actually. Maybe a lemur. Yeah, I think a lemur is actually pretty good. <laughs> I can go with lemur. It could be a lot worse. Why do you think they think laterally, Ian? Though that's the question. Oh, lemurs think well laterally. You throw <laughs> you throw any riddle with a lemur, it'll sort it out instantly. Clearly. <laughs> I don't know if you do this, Emily, but they bounce along quite happily sideways. So. Yeah. I do do that. I also swing through trees quite a lot. Yeah. Stripey tail. <laughs> that might be why you thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I think that was actually like all the questions I had for you guys. Can cool. we can we turn the lens the other way? Yeah, I'm not used to this at all, but yeah. Yeah, we were actually intrigued uh, to talk to you a little bit about your podcast and where you came up with the idea for Unfinished and Unpublished because it's such a good idea and it's so interesting talking to people and as you say there's threads that come through that are common so what what sparked all of that off for you? I think it must just be that I have lots of unfinished stuff or stuff that I mm-hmm. sort of barely start or like a list of ideas that I've never done so I suspect possibly it just came from there and then at the same time as that so I started doing a different little bit of radio in last what June July something like that yeah I think um, it was then. so I did a little program called the review which was just almost like a practice it was kind of like rip off of 
Radio 4 arts programmes, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And then I wanted to do a different series that was a bit more specific. And mm. just, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure where it comes from, like I say, but just the idea of talking about unfinished stuff, maybe because some of my previous guests on the review had talked about projects that they were still working on or that kind of thing. I mean, so many people have them, right? Yeah. Um, so many people yeah, just have yeah. unfinished things or just ideas that they never did for a novel or whatever, a piece of music or a painting or anything, really. That mm. I thought it'd be worth digging into. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So what's, are you able to share what's hiding at the bottom of your drawer oh or the, <laughs> the top of your laptop screen <laughs> in a folder somewhere? Uh, what do I have? I mean, I've always got at least like five things that I'll go, oh, that's the mm. thing. And I'll always write it down on a notepad and then never return to it again. I was thinking about sort of doing a little series of almost kind of like maybe short story type things. Mm -hmm. on not particularly related themes actually but just as a way of putting together ideas for various stories that I've had over different years really Mm -hmm. I'll be walking along often and I'll come up with an opening line and then nothing else like I don't do plot (laughs) oh that's really Mm -hmm. interesting so I don't know maybe I should just write a poem consisting of opening lines and that'd get me out of it (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool I really like that idea god it's people's brains work so differently I know that, sorry, to be very on brand, but I know that Philip Pullman kind of states that he sort of just writes, as in when people are asking for advice about writing, he says, just start writing. Such an annoying bit of advice. If you don't don't know where you're going, I'm like, it definitely does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can can I ask as well, with with the the idea of unfinished or unpublished stuff, and I'm sure the answer is both, so I'm going to stop you taking that get out of jail free clause. (laughs) But is is the interest more about the ideas themselves that have never come to fruition but might be interesting and, and getting the guests to talk through weird and wonderful stuff that may never see the light of day but is is an interesting talking point? Yeah. But, or is it more about, well, the process of creating things, whether or not they come to light, builds people and is an interesting process? Like, wh- which of those or is it, is it just both? Yeah, I mean... It is both. Both of the themes kind of come up every time I speak to the guests. It varies a little bit depending on who I'm speaking to. So sometimes people will have a super interesting project that they didn't finish or that they've just kept to themselves. And then the main Mm -hmm. interest would be in the project itself. But other times it is what they have to say about the process of doing it or the reasons Mm -hmm. why they didn't do it or the value in doing it, even if it didn't get where they wanted it to mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah so the first guest I had the project that she didn't do was an art installation that was a model theme park based on prog rock album covers yeah oh yes that yes, was so I remember. great that episode yes. yes which is a really interesting project in itself but also she had quite a good story about why it didn't happen so she started making mm-hmm. it and then was just like no this is mental I live in a tiny flat it's not mm-hmm. going to happen and she made like one part of it she made this enormous green teapot out of papier mache and that lived in her cupboard for a while until she had to move house mm-hmm. and that was the kind of the anecdote you know and it's I find that quite interesting as well just little snippets of people's lives that got in the way mm-hmm. yes that stopped something from happening related related to that so it's interesting that you said that there are things that you've kind of started and that's definitely something that I relate to more as a kind of creator Mm. I don't really see myself as a creator but I'm going to use that term (laughs) grandly but for instance the drawings that I do that go along with the podcast the hardest point for me is always starting the drawing Mm. and that's the point where I have the most anxiety or like uncertainty about well what is it going to be how is it going to go what if it's crap yeah Um, and that's where I build the most blocks in my own mind against it what what do you feel about that? Do you feel like those blockers and those those reasons for things not going perhaps all the way that conventionally people would would see as a full path? Um, do you think that's similar at, at all stages of the process, or do you think they they vary typically in terms of what people have said? Uh, I mean, the main thing seems to be fear, right? You kind of touched mm-hmm. it there. It's like people will be put off starting things because. They're worried mm-hmm. that it isn't going to be as good in reality as it is in their head. They're afraid that they might fail or they might see themselves as failing or that someone else might see them as failing or that someone else could do it better <laughs> um, mm-hmm. or that they won't finish it. That's another thing. They think, well, there's no point in starting it because yeah. I'm not going to finish it. 
And yeah. I guess the difficulty is that in the wider world of uh, creations and art and things, all we ever see from other people generally is what is finished and what they're happy for us yeah, to true. see on some level. Mm. So I think it's really, really valuable uh, and fascinating and kind of like such a privilege to hear from all of these people who are actually sharing something that is quite personal and which maybe they haven't even talked to anyone else before that seems to come up quite a bit actually as well in your podcast which I really like yeah oh Ian's Ian's saying oi let me ask the question (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I think think this one's really really interesting so it's kind of around professionalism so as we kind of touched on before, some some of these creative outlets really are, are born of a hobby or out of just being interested in something or being a fan of something like like our podcast. Yeah. But as as it's grown, um, we've certainly found a sort of pressure almost to make it professional. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. And I just wonder how how you found that if you found the same or similar things in doing your doing your podcast. Yeah, I mean, I do find some kind of pressure from myself very much from myself to try and mm-hmm. make it sound vaguely professional but that is ridiculous because like no one listens to it <laughs> <laughs> well not yet so, <laughs> wait, yeah, no, wait, yeah. wait wait a couple of years yeah. with your millions of uh, millions of <laughs> listeners hearing you say that so it is a bit ridiculous but I will try quite hard at least to edit it in a way that makes it sound you know vaguely professional hopefully mm. but I mean the idea of uh, professionalism and doing stuff as a hobby and what's the value of that comes up pretty much every time with the guests whether or not I ask the question it tends to come up naturally because there's been a lot of discussion of for example the value to be found in doing a hobby in all sorts of ways creative ways personal ways value to society but at the same time a real awareness amongst a lot of the guests that that's like a real privilege because that means if you have a hobby it means you have the time and the money to be doing unpaid work Yes. And I know several of them, you know, feel quite strongly that that should be something that everyone is able to do and pursue yeah, in their yeah, free yeah. time. So and, and they're therefore quite protective of not being too professional. Mm-hmm. And something yeah. that I really admire, actually, like I have one guest who comes comes to mind called Gilly Kleiman, who's a choreographer slash artist. And she does hobbies outside of her paid professional work which she deliberately does for herself and deliberately doesn't care whether or not anyone likes it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, that was really, was that the one where you were also talking about universal basic income as yeah, well? Yeah, that yeah. was fascinating. And I think there's a lot to be said for having that space. I feel like I've done the order of this particular bit weird now because that one we sense. wanted to ask you some questions about, <laughs> about materials. <laughs> Oh, Ian, Ian's oh, sorry, just randomly clap and then not explain why he claps. <laughs> we we clap to leave like a sound marker in the file so that you can see a big vertical line. And now it just looks like he's just really rudely clapped at you. <laughs> That's such a good idea. I love that idea. I thought he was just doing a like, I sometimes do this when I'm like, oh, I need to get something done now. So, you know, clap, rub your hands together. <laughs> I thought it was one of those. Yeah, so we had a couple of other uh, final questions to keep you in the hot seat. Okay. Um, so one of them was basically, uh, as a first-time reader of Historic Materials, which, by the way, I was not aware of. Okay. Um, so, until you read that sentence yes, just now. Yes, yes. So wow. shocked, shocked, and frankly, <laughs> judging. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what, what have you thought of the books so far, particularly, I guess, reading through as an adult? So I have kind of a slight confession built into this answer. Well, I'll tell you the slight confession first, which is... The drama. <laughs> I did do, for the first book, Not The Lights, I did do the read-along with you as I was listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I haven't done that with the second book, but I have still listened to the podcast. Mm. Oh, as in you've listened to the podcast, but you haven't read the book. Yeah, but it works. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I, I really thought you were going to say, oh, your podcast takes so goddamn long. I've read it five <laughs> times. <laughs> no, no, genuinely not. So I think, I mean, it helped that I was watching the TV series at the same time, but... The, the podcast is that detailed that you sort of don't need to read that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. No, it is. It's definitely a compliment. Because I, I don't feel as though I've missed anything. <laughs> Which I probably have. And I will go back and read um, the second and third books. Probably with you. But no, I mean, so I thought about kind of lying and pretending not to have done that. But I think it does also say something quite quite interesting about the podcast and why and how people might be listening to it. Mm. Because if I'm doing that, I suspect I'm not the only one. 
But anyway, so the bits that I have read, <laughs> the things that I find most interesting are the concepts behind them. So the stuff about like the big ideas, like you know, sin, the church, innocence, mm. knowledge, childhood, these kind of massive themes. I think he does really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are the strongest bits of the books. Um, I find elements of them a bit irritating, to be completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell us, tell us which bit. It's difficult. So I'm really picky about not how can I explain it about not hearing kind of the stage machinery working when you're reading okay yes right and I think sometimes you can hear it working elements of kind of the plotting maybe or just elements of the style occasionally I don't know it's just slightly clunky but overall I really like them (laughs) interesting Interesting. I'm I'm listening out for the stage machinery now yeah and then basically what have we missed or like were there any points where you were kind of like oh that's a weird thing to be commenting on when actually this this is actually a more interesting thing that's happening in this particular chapter or in terms of literary analysis I would definitely be focusing more on these things rather than whatever the hell you're talking about I feel like we're probably quite crap at literary analysis (laughs) i.e we don't do any yeah (laughs) because it's not in our wheelhouse (laughs) Despite analysing a work of literature. <laughs> um, I don't think you're bad at literary analysis at all. I think you're doing like a really particular thing with it, which is the deep dive, explaining mm-hmm. all the references in lots of detail. It's almost like you've written the most entertaining set of enormous footnotes <laughs> <laughs> that it's possible to have, right? So it's not kind of theme by theme analysing the minutiae of a sentence structure the stuff that you do is super interesting because it's not something that I would necessarily look up if I were to analyse the book. So if I were to analyse the book, I'd probably go down the whole Blake thing. But all that stuff is super because it's just not, it wouldn't have occurred to me, I don't think, to take that angle. Mm. But that is what the read-through structure of the podcast lends itself to really well, especially because you're doing it spoiler-free. So actually you couldn't do the whole thematic analysis without telling everyone what happens. Yeah. interesting interesting yeah. are there any themes that you've that you've noticed with your literary brain <laughs> um i mean i am neither a blake scholar nor a milton scholar and you should <laughs> definitely speak to someone who does know about that stuff because i think they'd have loads of cool stuff to say but i think mm-hmm. like the main stuff for me is the innocence and experience stuff in the book seems to come straight from blake but so Blake's like interested in the themes of innocence and experience and the positives and negatives of both of those states mm-hmm. experience would maybe associated with sin and knowing about the dark things in the world but at the same time it's kind of experience itself is kind of exciting and empowering and includes sex and knowledge and um, mm-hmm. the things that humans like <laughs> And innocence would be attractive because it's kind of like pure and childlike and mm-hmm. mm. but it's also very restricted and we don't live in an innocent world. So it's also kind of just not uh, achievable, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that kind of as applied, I suppose, to his dark material, you'd have just being associated with experience and sin and knowledge and consciousness or self-consciousness mm-hmm. and as we are being on the that experience side of things, and he's mm-hmm. kind of like this Miltonic Satan type character. Yeah. And then Mrs. Coulter obviously being on the other side of that, and she's sort of wanting to falsely maintain innocence, a state of innocence. Oh, yes, that's interesting. That's interesting. Like from the Blakian sense, that would be Mrs. Coulter's point of view would be, well, okay, so she's wanting to maintain innocence and there might be good reasons for why she wants to do that, kind of getting rid of original sin, all of that stuff. Um, mm. And in, the, in a way that sounds nice, but also is a, is a method of controlling human desire mm. and making people docile, keeping people ignorant. Mm. Um, and that's all very Blake. <laughs> yeah. That's super interesting. interesting. Yeah. I never thought of Coulter and Asriel as two sides of that coin. I definitely thought of Asriel in terms of experience but not of culture in terms of innocence also i haven't read all the books so that might be complete bollocks by the end of it but so far wow you shall see see. i do i do actually have one one final question because it's a point of uh, disagreement that i think earlier on uh, in this recording where we were talking about um what surprised you in in putting this thing out in the world Mm. 
people's responses to oh, yeah. perceptions of and attitudes towards Asriel mm. has really surprised me. Okay. Um, so what 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 that is what nervous. is your perspective? And I guess it, it's interesting. We might have to we might have to ask you the same thing uh, later when you finish when you yeah. finish the trilogy. But what, what's your perspective on Asriel? What's my perspective on Asriel? Um, I don't know why I keep calling him Asriel. 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 It sounds it sounds cooler. It sounds yeah. more <laughs> what's my perspective on him? Um, I think I'm probably more on the inside. I quite like him. Yes. Um, Outstanding answer. Very good. <laughs> Having said that, well, so I spe- well a couple of things. So I, was all, I would also say that, especially in the TV adaptation, I quite like Mrs. Coulter, and mm. it kind of comes a little bit back to what Amy was saying earlier about the fact that they've given her, they've almost made her too nice because they've gave her, given mm. her lots of motivation. But I think, like coming back to the Blakeian thing, they do a good job of drawing out that, drawing out those reasons why she might want to preserve yeah. innocence. Yeah, that's true. And Asriel, I guess. At least, from, like from the Blakeians' perspective, if we if we see him as a, a Miltonic devil, he's meant mm-hmm. to be both a a devil, right, but also really attractive. Mm. So Blake Sick famously devil. said that Milton was a true poet and was of the devil's party without knowing it. So as as we all would have his flaws, I suppose, but is offering all the things that humans have and like. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because it's in, it's interesting in in when we've talked about um, Asriel and and just listening to other people talking about his dark materials and engaging with people that uh, listen to the podcast and just Amy's views on him, mm. I kind of forgive his failures as a father and his uncaring. At one point, he's almost abusive to Lyra, yeah. not not actively beating her, but he grabs her arm and twists her, and she's an eleven year old girl at this yeah. stage, and he's a full grown man. And he hurts her arm because he's angry that she's in, invaded this private part of a college where women aren't even supposed to be, let alone <laughs> let alone girls. Yeah. And yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> that's not cool. <laughs> no, but, but the kind of the, the perspective that I, I I have with Azrael is that for all his flaws, he he is trying to do something that's ultimately freeing for humanity. Yeah. And I just therefore tend to disregard the flaws mm. because I see them as kind of minor. And and it's it's been an interesting perspective for me that a lot of other people are less forgiving. Mm. Yes, more to be more to be explored. <laughs> as you can see, we've not Sorry. we've not exhausted his Weird. dark materials Geeking yet. Out too much. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs>